What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. See, the Lord Jesus Christ, he hates death. He hates death. He hates death so much that he actually described how he's going to destroy death in Isaiah 25.8. In Isaiah 25.8, it speaks about him. It says, he will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away all tears from all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. The Lord has spoken it. So these are graphic words when he says he will swallow up death in victory. You know, that's the real big gulp right there. When the Lord Jesus swallows up death in victory, I mean, when you go over to the tabernacle, just think of that first part of the tabernacle over there. You know, you go over there, and you got brazen altar. You know, the brazen altar, it's got the fire. And the and just think, you know, that, that's a life-size model over there. But just think of the millions and millions of animals that were burned up and consumed on a brazen altar. I mean, it was just like as that went on and on for years and years, hundreds of years it went on. And as it continued to go on, you could see the fire crying out, give me more and more and more and more. And the more animals that were put onto that brazen altar, the flames just leaped up and consumed them. And the flames just cried out, give me more, give me more. Well, like it says in Proverbs 30, verse 15, the Proverbs 30, verse 15, yea, four things say not, it's enough. The grave, the barren woman, the earth that's not filled with water, and the fire that saith not, it is enough. See, the, not, the fire never says it's enough. The brazen altar never said, okay, I've had enough animals now. I'm satisfied, I don't want any more. Never said that. Fire in the brazen altar never said it's enough. The fire in the brazen altar just cries out, I want more to burn up. I want more animals. And each animal that's put on there, the flames then leap up and lick that animal into combustion until it's consumed. And the fire cries out, that's fine, now give me more. It was terrifying. The fire represented death. And that happened until the Lord Jesus became the sacrifice, and then the flames didn't consume the Lord Jesus. He consumed the flames as he destroyed death. And that's what he meant. He turned around, he swallows up death in victory. 
And so for the believer, death has been destroyed. It happens so well that Paul then, he turns around and he does the taunting. You know, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, 1 Corinthians 15, 54, he says, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, O death is swallowed up in victory. O death, here he is taunting, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God that gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, death, death lost its stinger. The bumblebee lost its stinger. You know, it so flies around. It's terrifying. You look closely. There's no more stinger in it. Grave has no more victory. So that's how Paul can turn and taunt. The Lord Jesus then turns and says, here you go. And he gives us the victory. He turns and gives us the victory over death. Thanks be unto God. Now, the Lord Jesus says in Revelation 1.18, Revelation 1.18, he makes a statement. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of hell and of death. He said, I have the keys of hell and of death. That's where he's talking. He says, I have the keys of hell and death. See, he's, he's talking now about hell. Now he's speaking about hell. You say, oh, now, the Bible talks a lot about hell. And there's no one in the Bible that spoke more about hell than the Lord Jesus. He spoke more than anybody else about hell in warnings. And so what is it? What is hell? What is hell? Well, the Bible says hell is a place where God is not. That's a good description. Hell is a place where God is not. To be in hell is to be in a place where God is absolutely absent. It's to be out of the presence of God. You know, there was a tragic prayer that was made in, 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 to the Lord Jesus, and it was tragic for the ones who prayed it because their prayer was unfortunately answered. And as a matter of fact, this is the most tragic prayer that anyone can ever make. And this prayer was made in the country of the Gadarenes. I mean, here was a man that was possessed with devils, and it says in Luke 8, 26, Luke 8, 26, they arrived to the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee, and when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time and wore no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. And then it says further on in verse 29, Luke 8, 29, and he was kept bound with chains and fetters. He broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. So who is this man? This man is naked. This man's living in the cemetery. This, this man cannot be contained. He can't be can, contained. He has a supernatural strength because of the devils that were inside of him. And the Lord Jesus speaks to those devils, and he, said, and he asked them what their name was. And he said, and they, they said, well, our name is Legion because we're many. We're many devils. And then they beg the Lord Jesus, don't cast us out into the deep. And they beg the Lord Jesus, let us go into this herd of pigs over here. And he agrees. And the pigs run into the lake and they're drowned. Then the whole city comes out to the Lord Jesus. They see the man that's delivered from the devils. They don't care. They see him in his right mind. They don't care. But then they see the pigs are destroyed. They care. And they're more concerned about the pigs than the man that was delivered. So then the prayer is, the tragic prayer is in verse 37, Luke 8, 37, Luke 8, 37. Then the whole multitude 
of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him, as in pray, besought him to depart from them. For they were taken with great fear, and he went up into the ship and returned back again. That was a prayer. That was a prayer when they besought him to return from them. That's the most tragic prayer that anyone can ever pray to God. You know what that prayer is? That prayer to God is, leave me alone. That prayer is, to God, mind your own business. That prayer to God is, depart from me. Those are the most tragic words that, that a person can pray, and that's what, they, that's, what, that's what they pray to him. And the tragedy is he answered it. When it says in Luke 8, 37, and he went up into a ship and returned back. The tragedy is he agreed. The tragedy is he says, okay, you want me to leave? I'm leaving. That's a great tragedy. You know, I mean, I've, sometimes I, on a plane, I've sat on a plane, I always take the aisle seat. And then, anyway, the person on the inside, I start to tell him about God, and I can see he's getting uncomfortable. And I said, I want to just give you assurance that I'm going to be like chemotherapy. I'm going to bring you to the point of death, then I'll back off. All right? <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. But <clears throat> this is a tragedy when a person says, leave to God, leave me alone. That's what hell is. Hell is a place where that prayer is finally answered. All through life, the lost want to be just left alone. No more Christians witnessing to them. No more Bibles in hotel room drawers. No more radio programs making invitations to them. No more overtures from Christians from God. And they get that answered in hell. Hell is where a man finally gets what he wants for God to leave him alone. And what makes, what makes this short life that we have here so great is that God is not leaving man alone in this life. He sends us, he sends you and me to go to the lost. And God, through you and me, he reaches out to the lost. He woos, he stretches out his hand to the lost. He invites man to come and and, and be reasonable together. Let's reason together, and your sins can be forgiven. But if a man all through his life persists with the no to God and asks God to leave him alone, at that, man is finally gets his wish stated. He finally gets his wish done there, and, and he finally gets, as God says in Hebrews 9.27, Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man once to die. That's it. And after that, the judgment. See, at death, all of God's inviting, all of his wooing, all of his holding out, reaching out his hand, stretching out, it's all finished. Hell is a place where God is not. But there are certain words that the Bible uses to describe hell. One of them is fire. Isaiah 66, 24. Isaiah 66, 24. They shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of men that have transgressed against me, for their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. In the book of Mark, in Mark 9, in verses 44, 46, 48, three times the Lord Jesus said this statement, their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Hell is a place of fire. But it's not a kind of fire that burns up and out, that consumes, it combusts away. It's a fire that continually burns. It's a fire that never goes out. See, by using the word fire to describe hell, it means it's a place of unending pain. 
And that brings us to the next word the Bible uses to describe hell, which is the word thirst. Thirst. You know, the rich man is described when he wakes up in hell, this tragic scene in, in Luke 16, 23. Luke 16, 23, it says, In hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Hell is described as a place of thirst, of tormenting flames. It's a place where thirst is never satisfied. It's a place where relief from pain and thirst, it's looked for, it's sought, but it's never found. And that makes us appreciate what the Lord Jesus Christ said when he said in John 6.35, John 6.35, and Jesus said unto them, I'm the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. See, to come to the Lord Jesus is to never thirst. Not only, not only does the, the flame torment in hell, but also the worm torments, because just as the flame doesn't go out in hell, the worm doesn't die. And that's what he kept saying, where their worm dieth not, in Mark 9.44 and so forth. Their worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. Napoleon said, he said, I die before my time, and my body will be given back to the earth to become the food of worms, such as the great fate soon to be of the great Napoleon. The Bible describes hell in these terms. The Bible also describes hell as a place of darkness. Not just darkness, but a place of outer darkness. Three times in Matthew, the Lord Jesus used this term, outer darkness, to describe hell. Matthew 8, 12, Matthew 8, 12. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 22, 13, Matthew 22, 13. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 30, Matthew 25, 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Over and over again, this emphasis, outer darkness, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness. Hell is a place of darkness. Why? Because God's light. As it says in 1 John 1, 4, 5, 1 John 1, 5, this is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So hell is where God is not. So therefore, hell is a place of darkness. And by using this term of outer darkness, outer darkness to describe hell, it makes it clear that people who are in hell they're all alone. They're all alone. It's a place of intense loneliness, like being lost alone somewhere and calling out for help, but no help comes. Lost at sea alone and calling out for help, but no help comes. Lost in a forest alone, calling out. It's a place of being all alone. People joke about this. People joke and they say, well, I don't mind going to hell because I'll be with my friends. No, you won't. There's no friends in hell. There's no nightclubs. There's no, there's no beautiful resorts. There's the, it's a separation from God. It's a separation from everyone else in darkness. And those in hell are described in Jude chapter 1, verse 13. Jude 1, 13. 
as raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Oh, man. That's pretty heavy. Never ending, wandering alone in the blackness of darkness forever. Now, another description the Bible uses for hell is the second death, the second death. It says in Revelation 20, verse 14, Revelation 20, 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God is life. God is life. 1 John 5.11, 1 John 5.11, this is the record. God hath given to us eternal life. This life is in his Son. John 14.6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. To be separated from the Lord Jesus Christ is to be separated from life. To die the first time, well, that's to experience the death of the body. But the second death, the soul of the spirit, it continues on. And that's to experience the second death, which is an unending state. It's an unending state. It's not an event. It's an unending state. The first death is an event. Expired. Terminated. Okay. The second death is an unending state. It does, it, where there's no, the person not consumed, there's no annihilation of the soul of the spirit. That's the Bible's description of hell. It's a terrible place. It's terrible. But God never intended for man to go to hell. He never did. And even if he sinned, God only intended for the devil and the devil's angels to go to hell. And he says that in Matthew 25, 41. Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Not prepared for man, but it was prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is a place that God prepared for the devil. He prepared it for the devil's angels, not for man. But if a person persists to follow the devil, then God's going to send that person where the devil goes, to hell. The place was prepared for the devil and angels. God doesn't take any delight in doing that. He takes no delight in sending any person to hell. He says in Ezekiel 25, Ezekiel 33, Ezekiel 33.11, Ezekiel 33.11 says, Say unto them, he's talking to his proclaimer, his preacher, his messenger, Ezekiel, and he's saying, say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn, very important word, tshuva, to repent, turn, but that the wicked turn from his ways, turn from his way and live, turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? You know, God's saying here, it's no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he has great pleasure when the wicked turn in repentance. And so God asked the question, when he asked the question, why will you die? He's saying something there. He's saying that to die and to go to hell is absolutely unnecessary. Why? He asked the question. It's unnecessary for anyone to go to hell. It's an unnecessary catastrophe. It's an unnecessary catastrophe. We talk about in Israel, they don't say the Holocaust. They say the Shoah, which means catastrophe. Well, this is an unnecessary catastrophe. You know, God's purpose is for everyone to be saved. In 1 Timothy 2.4, who will have all men 
to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, God wants every person, he wants every man, every woman, every boy, every girl to be saved and not to go to hell. God's will is for no one to perish in hell. As he said in, in, in 2 Peter 3, 9, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's purpose, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, not one should perish. That's God's purpose. And the gospel is what God did, all so that man would be saved from the second death. Which brings us back to this verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And so how did he do that? How does God destroy death? Hebrews 2, 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That's the devil. See, the Lord Jesus Christ destroyed death through his own death, through his own death on the cross, which is where he destroyed death. It's where he paid the ransom for our redemption. That's the gospel, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, I delivered unto you. First of all, that which I also received. I'm not telling you something that I haven't tasted, you think. is how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And on the cross, he cries out in Matthew 27 and 46, Matthew 27, 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Something, something very mysterious. Because when he said that, only the Lord Jesus Christ, no one else, he uniquely had the capacity to do what no other person could have done. He had the capacity to do 2 Corinthians 5.15. 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for all. He died for all. 1 John 2.2. 2. He's a propitiation for our sins. Oh, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Hebrews 2.9. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste Death for every man. He died for every person. He died for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. He paid the price of every person's sin. That's why the greatest catastrophe, unnecessary catastrophe, is when a person goes to hell. It is 100% not necessary. It is 100% against God's will. It is 100% the fault of man when he doesn't submit to the gospel. Because the gospel isn't just an invitation, it's a command. It's a command. It's, it, when it says in Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me and be ye saved all, ye, uh, all, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Where do you think he said that? Look unto me and be ye saved. Where is he? Where is he? Where? Oh, he's up there on a cross. He's on a cross. What's he saying? Look unto me and be ye saved all ye ends of the earth. I'm God. There's none else. God dying for our sins. He says, look to me. Look to me. I'm the brazen altar, uh, brazen serpent. I'm the brazen serpent. Look at me and be healed. That's a command that he gives there in Isaiah 45, 22, when he says, look unto me and be ye saved. See, the gospel is a command to obey. That's why it says in Romans 10, 16, Romans 10, 16, they've not all obeyed the gospel because Isaiah said, who hath believed our report? 
2 Thessalonians 1 8. 2 Thessalonians 1 18, 8. Inflaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.